0: This is a Triple J podcast. (laughs) Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack podcast. Who's going to host the Commonwealth Games? Because sports groups, athletes, they're pretty annoyed, some of them, that Victorian Premier Dan Andrews has made this big announcement to axe the 2026 Games. They've said it's embarrassing, disappointing, that they've been blindsided. But Dan Andrews says the costs were blowing out and it was an easy decision. So was it the right thing to do? Later in this podcast, we're going to be getting into this Commonwealth Games controversy. We'll hear lots of opinions on that one. First, though. It's about bringing the nation together. It's
1: a very risky proposition. On Triple J.
0: If you still don't know how you're going to vote in the voice referendum, some more information is going to be heading your way soon that's hoping to push you over the line. Both the yes and no sides have had their official cases published on the Australian Electoral Commission website. Now, those cases are going to be turned into a pamphlet that will be sent to every household in the mail later this year. The thing is, the Australian Electoral Commission actually doesn't have the power to fact-check or edit these pamphlets, and there are already claims of misleading or inaccurate info. In a bit, we're going to speak with a constitutional law expert about why it is legal to essentially tell lies in this debate. But first, Shalila Madora explains what is in these cases and what happens next.
2: Printers at the Australian Electoral Commission's headquarters in Canberra will be working overtime for the next couple of months. They'll be printing out the pamphlets containing the yes and no arguments for an Indigenous voice to Parliament. There's a hell of a lot of
1: them. 12 or 13 million of these are being put out.
2: Commissioner of the AEC, Tom Rogers, was on ABC TV saying they remember how big a job it was from the last time we had a referendum.
1: I think in 1999, when we last did this, it was the largest print and distribution job in Australia's history at that point. So it's a big thing. It's
2: important to point out here that the AEC doesn't write the content of the pamphlets and they don't fact check it either.
1: We don't own the content of the yes and no cases. They've been provided to us. We really are a postbox with this.
2: Here's a rundown of the main arguments from either side. The Yes case says The Voice will improve the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples by allowing them to have a say in policies that affect them. It highlights how First Nations people are disadvantaged and what needs to be done about it. Here's Yes campaigner Thomas Mayo.
3: Everything that we've tried hasn't worked and this is something that is going to improve life.
2: Liberal MP and supporter of The Voice, Julian Lisa, told RN Brekke that The Voice was a safe change to the nation's founding document.
1: This referendum's about recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in our constitution. It's about listening to the advice of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people about the matters that affect them so that governments can make better decisions.
2: But the no side doesn't see it that way. It says The Voice is risky and divisive. No campaigner Warren Mundine told ABC TV that people who are unsure of what The Voice will do should vote no. In the beginning I was a supporter of The
3: Voice and then I changed because I started to see it turning into a huge
4: bureaucracy which isn't going to really do anything different.
2: And independent Senator Lydia Thorpe, who is against The Voice but not part of The No campaign, said in a statement that The Voice doesn't address truth-telling or sovereignty. This whole voice business is nothing but a smokescreen to cover up the continued process of the violent colonisation of this country. So while we do know a little bit more about how the debate will pan out, there's one key bit of info that's still missing, and that's when we'll actually vote. The PM, Anthony Albanese, keeps saying it'll be towards the end of the year. The date will be between October and December. But he's not willing to get more specific as yet. By law, we only need to be told about a referendum 33 days before the vote itself. And Mr Albanese says announcing the date too far in advance will make people tune out. And I don't think that Australians appreciate very long campaigns. Uh, That's been the case
0: Uh, in the past hack on triple j shalala madora with that update and yeah if you do want to read those cases the yes and no official cases they are already on the aec website you can go find them there we are going to be speaking more to advocates on both sides of this debate in the weeks and months ahead also politicians as you can imagine you'll be hearing heaps from them But if we can zoom out for a second and focus on misinformation, which is already a key concern heading up to this referendum, how do you know what's the truth? And what are the consequences for spreading lies? Well, Luke Beck is an Associate Professor of Constitutional Law at Monash University. He is also a member of the Australian Labor Party. He's with us now. G'day, Luke. Thanks for coming on, Hack. My
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me back.
0: These official cases for the yes and no campaigns were only posted online in the past day but already there are people coming out saying information in them is misleading or inaccurate. Um, Like there's one constitutional lawyer who says he's quoted in the no document, but his quote is out of context and he says he's going to make a complaint about it. A lot of people are going to be wondering how is this allowed to happen?
1: Yeah. So it's basically exactly the same rules as what applies to federal elections. So regular elections that we have. So, um, I think all of your listeners will be familiar with the fact that we have deceptive and misleading advertising rules that apply to business. They can't lie to us or trick us about their goods and services. Well, there's no equivalent to that in politics. Politicians and other election campaigners and referendum campaigners are allowed to basically just lie and mislead you, and there's absolutely no legal consequence for that because it's not illegal. So in the, it, it, a business could not trick you or mislead you about what its product is capable of doing. But a politician or another election campaigner can just make stuff up, and that's fine. The only exception to that rule about you're not allowed to deceive and mislead voters is you're not allowed to deceive and mislead voters about how to fill in the ballot paper. So for regular elections, you've got to number the boxes. For the referendum, you've got to write the word yes or no, depending how you're voting. Um, If you were to put out an ad that looked like you had to tick the box, you'd be breaking the law. But other than that... Uh, It's a free-for-all. You can make up stuff, you can lie, you can mislead people. uh, That's fine. Um, In South Australia, by contrast, they have what we call truth in political advertising laws, which basically applies deceptive and misleading advertising rules to politics. So in South Australian elections, you're not allowed to lie and make stuff up and mislead voters.
0: Right, okay. So it's different in South Australia, but federally we don't have these truth in political advertising laws. That's wild for a lot of people to think about, I would think. Um, What about the Australian Electoral Commission? Like,
1: do they have a role in fact-checking any of this stuff? So they have a very, very tiny role. So they have on their website a, a disinformation register... But that's focused on misleading claims about the referendum process, about how ballots are counted, how the process is done. They absolutely will not get into claims about, you know, about what the voice does or what it might do or what it won't do. They do not get into that. They focus only on process. And the reason they only focus on process is because that's the law. It's not illegal to mislead people about the voice. It's not a le- illegal to mislead people about a politician's policies in an election campaign. It's not illegal to lie. So therefore, there's no basis for the regulator to be doing anything in that space. They have no legal power to do anything there.
0: So who is fact-checking? I mean, I guess it's up to journalists, uh, you know, like us at Hack to be putting correct info out there. But are there other fact-checking units that are focusing on this voice debate in particular? Yeah, so th-
1: yeah, that's right. So largely it comes down to the media and journalists to, to fact-check things, both in their own reporting to make sure they don't include misleading information and then to go out and fact-check other claims that they see around the place, particularly on social media. We know that lots and lots of people don't really engage with the old-fashioned media anymore. Lots of people get their news almost exclusively from social media. So organisations like RMIT Fact Check, um, AFP Fact Check, AAP Fact Check, they're running a whole series of fact-checking articles you know looking at various claims about the voice and talking to experts and others to fact check those claims and they do and they do fact-checking on all sorts of other topics as well but that depends on people going out there and you know looking up looking for these fact-checking uh information stories so you know it's one of these things, it's one of these Band-Aid solutions that responds to the problem but doesn't do anything really to prevent the problem, which is why lots of people, including me, think that truth in political advertising laws are really important to prevent a lot of this mis- and disinformation.
0: And has there already been a lot of examples of misinformation, disinformation in this debate that have been proven?
1: Yeah, so those um, fact-checking units have a long list of articles where they've fact-checked all sorts of um different claims some of them are really quite wacky about you know the constitution is invalid Um, there are other ones about you know the if we if this referendum passes it will take away private land and convert it all to native title the referendum's got nothing to do with that there's all sorts of different things coming from all sorts of different sources um, that these fact-checking units have done and so you know your your listeners can jump on google and google these fact-checking outfits and see some of the stuff that they're looking at Um, But when people scroll through their Facebook or their Instagram or their Twitter or whatever, you know, they come across things that might look plausible, might look like they come from a reputable source, but it turns out they're just made up. It's deliberate misinformation sometimes. So what's the And there's no legal consequence for that.
0: Well, what's the advice then for people if they're not sure, you know, what they're consuming is
1: accurate or not? What should they be doing? Yeah, so people, unfortunately, need to think about things and go out and do their research to, you know, does this tally up with what other sources are saying? Is this tallying up with what reputable experts are saying? Now, of course, people will have differences of opinion. Um, People will have arguments on each side. That's an ordinary part of democracy. But in terms of facts, you know, does this sound plausible is this coming from a reputable source does this match what other people are saying in other sources but that's putting a lot of uh, effort onto ordinary people to check these things in the commercial advertising space well we don't say to people well you know it's up to you to check if the if the pharmaceutical companies are telling you the truth or not we say well actually no you're not allowed to lie to people you're not allowed to mislead people And so that's why the Joint Standing Committee on Electoral Matters a few weeks ago recommended that in future we should have federal truth in political advertising laws to try and prevent some of this mis and disinformation rather than just leaving it people to try and, you know, inoculate them.
0: And I think we've lost Dr Luke Beck there from Monash University, but that's okay. We're coming to the end of our discussion there about misinformation in the voice debate. It's really interesting. We'll definitely be keeping you across it over the next few months as we continue to cover this debate in the lead up to the referendum. Time to move on.
5: The community are calling out to save Lee Point.
0: On Triple J. You know, there's never been a bigger focus on protection of First Nations sacred sites and important sites in Australia. We've had some big examples that have made headlines in recent years for the wrong reasons. You probably remember the destruction of the Jukan Gorge by Rio Tinto in WA back in 2020, but also around the country, protesters are raising concerns about other sites that they say are at risk. In Darwin... There's a big battle underway now to save a nature reserve that's planned to be partially cleared to build houses. The protests there have been intense. Like, people have been arrested after setting up blockades. They've been trying to stop heavy machinery. Some have faced court for trespassing and have been fined. So where is this place? What's going on? Why are people trying so hard to protect it? And what's going to happen next? Miles Holbrook-Walk has visited the front lines of the protest at Lee Point in Darwin to find out.
4: So right now, I'm standing in a bushy part of Darwin. There's tall trees on either side of the road and really green colours. It's on this major road that runs through Darwin's northern suburbs and right out to the edge of it, just as you look over, you can begin to see this pristine blue water that ends the rest of the green shrubbery all around me. But the other thing that's here is a series of tents and signs saying, Save Lee Point.
2: Save Lee Point! Save Lee Point! Protests even spreading down south to Sydney today. Hands off Indigenous land, demonstrators gathering outside the office of Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek. Save your shame!
4: Save your shame! So you might be wondering where lee point is fair enough it's a tropical savanna bush and it's only 20 minutes drive from the middle of the city in darwin but recently it's attracted national attention that's because this is where 800 houses are supposed to be built mainly for people in the defense force defense employs a lot of people in darwin defense housing australia a government business developing the site said they have all the approvals they need, including clearance by the Aboriginal Areas Protection Authority. But Dungalaba, Kulumbirigan and Tiwi woman Milolma May, whose family has connections to Lee Point, says the proposed site is on sacred Aboriginal grounds and the project should go ahead elsewhere.
5: This area is known to us as Binbara and it's a really significant place for us. It is connected to the Old Man Rocks site, which is acknowledged by the Sacred Sites Act um, to be a sacred site.
4: Now, protesters have set up a camp at Lee Point and have been there for more than two weeks. In the first week, Moelma says things got pretty hectic.
5: It was a very chaotic day and it reached a point in the middle of the day where I stood in front of the fence line, so I was not on the trespass lands, I was on the footpathway, which we were allowed to be standing on.
4: As bulldozers were coming into clear land, Maluma started doing the Macarena.
5: I invited the security and the police to dance with me because I was trying to um, distract them from the bulldozer coming in. And in under 10 seconds, with no warning, I was grabbed by two security officers and then by a police officer and put in the back of a paddy wagon.
4: Noel was one of 12 arrested that day. Since then, two things have happened. First, the government stopped construction for seven days to look at whether the land is part of an Aboriginal sacred site, as traditional owners have been saying. Then, late last week, Defence Houses Australia extended that by 30 days. But protesters are still hanging around, and I went and met a few of them. G'day, my name's Miles, how are you? Hi,
6: yeah, good, thanks, I'm Suki. It's about saving endangered species when we're in the sixth mass extinction.
4: One of those endangered species that can be found at Lee Point is a little bird called the Gouldian finch. It's
6: got an incredible array of colours. It's got a red head, um, this kind of blue ring around its neck, a green back and then a purple chest and, and then a yellow underbody.
4: So when the federal government approved this housing development, they knew it would affect the Gouldian finch population but said they'd also provided some protection for the birds. The Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek tweeted there would be four hectares of buffer around finch habitat. Another argument the Federal Environment Minister has made is that these 800 houses proposed to be built are really important to easing a national housing crisis. But neither Milma or Suki think those arguments are enough to bulldoze the bush.
5: We understand that housing is important and for defence people, they obviously need houses when they're coming to do their stints here. But our concern is with the location and that it's on a site of cultural significance. The defence housing can go elsewhere, the
6: Gouldian Finch can't. And I think that's a, a really strong message.
4: So what's likely to happen next? Well, while the work has stopped, lawyers acting for the Larrakia people are making submissions that Lee Point is a sacred site. A Department of Climate Change, Energy, the Environment and Water spokesperson said the minister was considering the decision, and they couldn't comment until she made her decision. Back at the campsite, the protesters say if the project does resume after the temporary stop, they're not
0: going anywhere.
6: Absolutely not. I think we're we're all we're gonna we're gonna be here. we there'll be a presence here. Yeah.
0: Hack on Triple J. Miles Holbrook-Walk there, and we'll make sure we keep you across the developments with that story in the months ahead.
6: The Games will not proceed in Victoria in 2026.
1: I would say to Dan Andrews, you should be very ashamed. On Triple J. I don't think
0: anyone was expecting that big announcement that came through this morning from Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews. He said Victoria is axing the Commonwealth Games in 2026. They were too expensive to put on. He says the money is still going to be pumped into regional Victoria, but we don't know where the games are going to go now. And it has annoyed a lot of people. Hack. Six to
6: seven billion dollars is well and truly too much for a 12 day sporting
1: event. The
3: stated cost overruns in our opinion are a gross exaggeration and not reflective
1: of the operational costs. Daniel Andrews promised a world-class Commonwealth Games and instead we've got a world-class stuff up.
3: While disappointed by this morning's news, we're certainly committed to
1: ensuring that the state government delivers on what they've committed to for our community. This is an international
0: embarrassment.
6: I've made a lot of difficult calls A lot of very difficult decisions in this job. This is not one of them. On Triple J.
0: Yeah, in a second, we're going to chat to an expert in these big events, ask whether they're actually worth the investment for cities and regions. This has definitely got a lot of people talking. On the text line, Tim says, I think Dan's decision is good. Costs way too much to hold these events. They should be simplified and scaled back. be more about the sport another person also backing this saying very happy to hear they've canned the commonwealth games the cost of living is a struggle for everyone at the moment and on instagram someone says it is disappointing but calling it a humiliation is a bit of an overstatement well hey let's get the thoughts of someone who is very affected by this alessia mccaig is an australian track cyclist she was at the commonwealth games at birmingham last year and she's from bendigo which was supposed to host some of the events as part of the 2026 games hey alessia thanks for coming on hack
6: hi dave thanks for having me there's
0: been a lot of frustration even a lot of anger from sports groups from athletes that these games have been cancelled how are you feeling
6: Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling pretty disappointed, um, as uh, would a lot of other athletes be feeling as well. So um, just definitely aiming towards the Victoria Games in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I don't think it will change the way that I go about my training, but yeah, definitely disappointing that it's not going to be in Victoria.
0: Can you explain what the Commonwealth Games mean for athletes like yourself? As a big sporting event, international sporting event, how significant is it?
6: The Commonwealth Games is really important. I think it's a really great stepping stone before the Olympics and even some World Championships too. But, yeah, it means a lot to represent your country and other Commonwealth Games as well. I mean, it has a pretty big name attached to it. So, yeah, it means everything. Like last year was the best experience and I wish that I could um, have that experience in Victoria in 2026, but we'll see what
0: happens. Are you freaking out a little bit that no one else is going to step forward and say we're going to host these games? I mean, we're talking about it now, about uh, what happens next, how uh, we go forward. Is this a big worry for you?
6: Yeah, I mean, it is definitely worrying, um, but You know, I have faith that somewhere in Australia will support the Commonwealth Games and hopefully they'll pick it up. And if not, then fingers crossed that another country will so that it will actually go ahead.
0: Well, hey, we'll be keeping in touch. We'll be seeing how the Mm -hmm. training's going. Hopefully everything's as smooth as it can be. Track cyclist Mm -hmm. Alessia McCaig, thanks so much for coming on Hack. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Dave. And a lot of messages coming through on the text line. Someone says, hey, Dave, it's time we realised how expensive it is to host sporting events, considering most of the other Commonwealth countries can't afford to host them either. It's time to work on better arrangements. Look, let's get into this a bit more. David Rowe is from Western Sydney Uni. He's done a fair bit of research into what it takes to pull off big sporting events like this. He's with me now. G'day, David. Thanks for coming on, Hack. Hello, Dave. How unusual is it that a host location would pull out like this?
3: Uh, it's not unprecedented but it's certainly unusual in australia I mean uh the you might recall that uh the uh durban durban was supposed to hold the 2022 games and um that they were deprived of that because they couldn't um, essentially well funded and organise it and birmingham took over and um and then australia you know, sort of volunteered uh, um when when most uh, commonwealth countries were not interested uh, so it, it's a bit of a surprise given that australia did did, did volunteer itself uh, was was about to ho- host its six commonwealth games but what most recently of course the, in 2018 on the gold coast uh held there and um and now it's it's gone
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the big questions we're being asked on the text line is, does it need to cost so much money to put on an event? Like Dan Andrews was out there today saying it had cost as much as $7 billion for a 12-day sporting event. That's definitely being disputed by Commonwealth Games officials. They're saying that's nowhere near the amount it would cost. But how expensive is it?
3: Well, it is a very expensive business. Um, uh, in particular, any multi-sport, multi-site event is um, is expensive. And then, of course, that's been accentuated by the fact that this was a regional game. So it would have been cheaper, probably, well, certainly, if it uh, had been concentrated in Melbourne, for example, a, a major capital city maybe the odd satellite event. This was... This sold itself as a uh, as a regional event across Victoria, uh, from Geelong to um, to you know, Bendigo, Ballarat, uh, um, you know, all all kinds of places um, in in Victoria. Now that makes it more expensive, of course. Um, so uh, you, you're making a, a very expensive event even more expensive in the modern world it has been pointed out just something like security alone is an extraordinary expense
0: is there actually any value in putting on these major events in the long run like you know we talk about tourism in the short term a lot of people coming to attend the games or whatever but does it actually help these regions and cities in the future
3: in strict economic terms, no. I've I've never really uh, found any evidence, and you don't have to ask me as a sociologist. I've spoken to lots of economists, and they've written about it. it's 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 very rare to to even break even, let alone make money uh, directly from the event. There's the usual um, claim of you know putting something in the world spot, spotlight, a particular kind of place uh it's really about um publicly subsidized infrastructure that might be uh sporting infrastructure or could be roads or light rail or or something like that um, so that you know there'll, there'll certainly be economic benefits from there it's essentially a, a big party and uh, so you're funding a, a big fun sporting party uh, but it's not a straightforward, um, economically
0: beneficial proposition. We've got some messages coming through on the text line. Someone worried about the Olympics on the text line. They say, living and working in inner South Brisbane, I'm pretty stressed about the Olympics. The construction is going to be a nightmare before the whole event even begins and who knows what my rent's going to do. Oh, that's a whole different issue that we'll get into later down the track as well. Somebody else says, I think this is great. The state of Victoria is in a huge amount of debt and with healthcare jobs being threatened, I know what I'd rather invest in. Someone else says, oh, people want to leave the Commonwealth one week then they want to complain about the Commonwealth Games being cancelled the next. What do they want? Yeah, well, look, there's lots of opinions on the text line. I'm speaking with David Rowe from Western Sydney Uni about uh, the whole, you know, uh, blowout from this uh, cancellation of the Commonwealth Games in regional Victoria. David, what's the cost of cancelling after so much preparation? Because I guess it's not just a matter of, oh, that's it, we're all over. There's probably been money that's already been invested.
3: Well, yes, um, and... uh, uh... I did I went on the site um, the commonwealth games site um for 2026 it was still up when i looked at it a couple of hours ago so <laughs> it's all these kind of happy messages and you know it's a relationship to indigenous culture and uh, all the great you know, regional sporting facilities that are being built so um there are lots of costs there um embedded already so um and Dan Andrews the premier of Victoria said that he will complete uh for example infrastructure um, activities that he's already or the state has already commenced but um i mean i would imagine there would be uh there w- c- could be quite a lot of legal action depending on the nature of the contracts where um you know that i think the there'll have to be uh, some compensation there um from various firms um uh, yeah there's a, there there will be substantial costs in shutting uh, shutting it down. Just as in a, in an organisation that makes people unemployed, you've got to pay them out. Now, I'm not quite sure of, of all the contracts, but there'll be a lot of them. And um, I think some of them will, will require compensation.
0: Interesting. Well, look, we'll definitely be keeping across it. We'll also be keeping across Who's putting their hand up to potentially host these games? Uh, A lot of people, a lot of states, territories, regions have said, no, we're not doing it. I did notice, David Rowe, that your region, Western Sydney, said, oh, we wouldn't mind putting it on. We've got Homebush Stadium. We could maybe do it out there. So who knows? Who knows where the Commonwealth Games will be? But we do appreciate your insight into this, David Rowe from Western Sydney University. Thanks for coming on, Hack. It's a pleasure, Dave got some messages still coming through someone says why does this cost billions of dollars even millions seems too much to get people together for sports well yeah look as we heard there's lots of infrastructure the security is the big thing as well and that's all we've got time for on the hack podcast for now i'll catch you next time hack on triple jack